So then, Glaucon, said I, isn't this why upbringing in music is most sovereign? It's because rhythm and concord, most of all, sink down into the inmost part of the soul and cling to her most vigorously as they bring gracefulness with them. And they make a man graceful if he's brought up correctly. But if not, then the opposite. From Plato's Republic. College is a bubble. We're here to pop it. The Albertus Magnus Institute is reinventing the academy, offering education that's as free as it is free. Welcome to the Magnus Podcast. With your help, we are liberating the liberal arts. Now, your hosts, John Johnson and Larissa Bianco. Welcome back, everyone. I am Larissa Bianco, and I am joined by, as always, John Johnson. John, it's good to be here, you? as always, Larissa. How's it going? Good. How are you? How's your family? How's your baby? You just had a baby. Your baby number six. She's awesome. It's quite an adventure. I used to say that three was the hardest and then it got easier, but I might change my mind at six. Sleep is hard to come by. The kids are great. You know, they all play together. It's awesome. My wife's a saint, but six is a lot of kids. You're definitely playing zone, not man to man at this point. Well, congratulations on baby number six. Thanks. Now we just have to keep all of our endorsed institutions promoted long enough for my kids to attend there. That's my goal. That's that's sort of my ulterior motive for doing the Albertus Magnus Institute here is prop these places up so they have someplace good to go when, it, when the right. time comes. Yeah. Yes. And speaking of good places to go, I'm in, so excited to introduce you to our guest from New College Franklin, Greg Wilbur. How are you? Doing well. So delighted to be here. Thank you. Greg, what the heck is New College Franklin? When I saw this, I I, I was <laughs> admittedly ignorant and I apologize, but I'm excited to hear your elevator pitch for what looks like an awesome place to study. Well, I'll, I'll give you the private elevator pitch just because you gave me yours just a moment ago. Um, you know, I created an institution where my daughter could go to school. Yeah. Uh, is the uh, is the quick version <laughs> in terms of of having a place where uh, where she could study. Now, and the, the desire was to kind of reclaim that um, that uh, more historic um, aspect of tutorial learning in uh, in conversation in a small setting with the great questions, but also recovering the classical seven liberal arts, the trivium and the quadrivium, and to do so in community in conversation with original sources in uh, in such a way. It's not only developing students academically, but also forming them spiritually. That's awesome. You're in Tennessee. We are Franklin, Tennessee, about right in the middle of the state, about 15 miles south of Nashville. So there's a lot of of wonderful opportunities in the area, and it's just it's a beautiful location. Okay, and tell us about the faith confluence or foundations of the college. Uh, in terms of of, of um, tradition. In, yeah. In what, what, yeah. if any, what's your, what's the background of the place? What's your student body look like? Right. Uh, yes. Yeah, so good question. I mean, our, our, um, our foundational documents are historic and biblical, um, mostly historically from a reformed perspective. Um, but that's not the, uh, that, that's where we land so that we have a foundation, but it's also where we can be very clear so that people from other faith traditions know where they're going to have, uh, they're going to have differences. And so awesome. our student body, you know, our student body is is Protestant, but it's also uh, we've had um, uh, limited Catholic students, but uh, quite a few uh, Orthodox students and um, Anglicans and non-denominational, et cetera. Uh, but that's that's a rich kind of conversation that we can have as we you know interact with uh, various traditions within the classroom. That's so good to see. And I won't name the college, but there is a school in your space. That is, that is, um, I don't know how similar, but definitely Protestant. But to the point that if a student, say, reads St. Augustine and decides to convert to Catholicism, that student will be promptly removed from the college. So it doesn't sound like that's what you guys are up to, which is awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not. I mean, my, my perspective is, 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 uh, I mean, this is my tradition, but at the same time, you know, if a student comes in, say, as an Orthodox student, I want them to understand more completely foundationally and biblically why they believe what they believe. Yeah. So that, you know, so that they're, they're a better Orthodox student 
when they leave, or a better Catholic student, or a better uh, Anglican, that they're uh, you know asking the big questions. They're doing so in in uh, like I said in community, wrestling with why you believe what you believe in that foundation, uh, but then doing so in such a way that it informs your own faith tradition and uh, and, and reinforces that and establishes that uh, much more deeply. And that's the beautiful thing about this sort of education is that everybody shows up on day one thinking they believe something, but having no idea why. And exactly. you're, you're, cha- <laughs> you're challenged in a seminar to really get to the heart of what you believe and then figure out, is it true or not? And see where that right. takes you. Right. And, and because of that too, because you do that work, um, it becomes yours. Like in, it's not just, Hey, here's the answer on this particular uh, question, or here's the you know quick over- worldview overview of this particular author. But you're actually wrestling with the ideas in such a way that you're coming to um, a level of understanding and wisdom on it, and that the answer and the understanding is something that you've um, you've come to a place uh, within yourself and in the conversation with those around you, and not just spouting back the things that you've been told. Uh, but the things that you've actually grown into. And um, and we say all the time, too, I mean, our, our motto is orthodoxy and orthopraxy. You know, it's, it's right belief, but it's right doing. You know, you don't really know something unless you're actually putting it into practice. And so it's not right just on. about, yeah, it's not just about the head knowledge, but you know, what are you learning? But then how does that change who you are? How does that change how you serve those around you? How does that change how you look even more globally at uh, what God has called you to be and do? That's beautiful. How many students at the college? We are. Uh, we'll have about fifty this fall, which is the largest we've been. And uh, we've we've had control. This will be our fifteenth year this fall. Um, we've controlled growth over time just because we don't want to grow too quickly. Uh, you can, you know, with a, with a seminar model, you know, you can only have so many uh, people around the table in terms of being able to one see each other and two be able to actually speak. And so we've been trying to maintain uh, a slower level of growth so that we can uh, we can do so. And the beautiful thing is that, you know, we've got so there's so much more interest in this type of thing than when we started, which I'm so delighted to see. I'm so excited to see other small colleges start. I don't really see that as competition. Uh, there's, there's so much need, you know, going back to the issue, too, of of um, of, um, of foundational um, faith foundations. You know, we have a common enemy. There's so much more, many more things that um, that that um, pull us together that should tear us apart. And the fact that there are more colleges starting is a beautiful thing. And that there's a big space for that, I think. Um, and there hopefully will be a growing space for that and need for that. Um, and so that's a um, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of that. I think that's well said. And that's the reason AMI exists is sort of overflow for the brick and mortar and that springtime of liberal education in various faith traditions, I think all pointing to the one who is truth. And and mm-hmm. I think you're right. We do have a common enemy uh, culturally, and that makes us friends. And there's probably a right. few other things that make us friends too. I'm intrigued. <laughs> right. I'm intrigued by your, your background. You're a professional <clears throat> musician. You study music. Yes. To what extent is music propedeutic to philosophy? I think Plato says that explicitly that that music and gymnastic are sort of requirements for this sort of learning. Right. Talk about that. Yes. Yeah, and I think there's there's um I mean you see there's two ways I could approach that one from my own kind of journey and two kind of of um having gone through that journey uh, kind of the level of understanding that that, that has given me uh, partly it, for me um having studied music you know, traditional route. I have a master's degree in music composition. So I did all the theory. I did all the music history, all those types of things. I remember distinctly sitting in a music class and uh, and hearing the mention of Boethius and uh, music of the spheres. It was just like a little blip. It's like why can't we why can't we talk more about this? But just those things were just kind of out there in uh, um, in the general. Um, but we didn't talk about those things. When I got into classical education and uh, was wanting to. Uh, and I also have led um, uh, music in church for, um, f- well, for dozens of years, it, wanting to have some sort of foundation of what's appropriate and acceptable with regards to um, to worship. What's the foundation for that? And then the the conversation that then happens between, especially the quadrivium 
um, the objective aspects of beauty and truth uh, and goodness and how that applies to music. And so all those things kind of connect together in my in my various interests. But I think specifically, like you said, with, with regards to gymnastics and music, uh, yeah, there's the um, you know, there's the training of the body with gymnastics. Music is essentially training the affections, I believe, and not just in the context of music itself, but in the muses. You know, the fact that the nine yes. muses were the daughter of, daughter of memory, and so the the this was the enculturation. This was the story of 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 um, who they were as a people. You know, what um, what are what are our stories? What are the stories that we see in the stars? What's our myths? Uh, what are our dances? What's our music? What's our astronomy? What's our lyric poetry? What's our love poetry? What's our histories? And and that enculturation, the love of those things, and in inculcating the love of those things, then leads to the understanding of wanting to follow it more fully. And so, from the foundation of of this is these are the things that we love that are um, instilling aspects of virtue of of uh, who we are as a people, and then. With um, with the quadrivium, um, especially, then putting some flesh to that, and of course, the, the purpose of the seven liberal arts was to lead to philosophy, was to lead to theology, um, was to lead to medicine. I mean, it was the it was leading into those those higher level studies, but it was the foundation from which theology and philosophy then uh, then sprang. With that, there's a lot to unpack there. So, what fundamentally does harmonia do for the soul why do humans need it oh yes uh there's you know i think we um we think too myopically in terms of just music mm-hmm. and i think we can think much more globally with regards to um you know what does it mean to be as scripture speaks about a being of of um of single-hearted or, or uh, having an undivided part. Um, what does it mean to live in shalom? I think you know, the, the idea of peace, of shalom, of the rightness of things, of the order of things, um, all those things I think are, are synonymous. And so even, even within the context of theology, you know, the discord that you see from, um, from the sin in the garden is restored by the peace of the blood of the cross the shalom, the rightness of things, which is an aspect of harmony. I think, and we we get stuck, I think, in more of a Greek idea of of um, of balance, of moderation. That, Stoic um, idea, yeah, mm-hmm. right, yeah. So we want this idea, of, you know, just a little bit of this. But I think you know that falls flat when you when you look at, for example, you, um, you don't want to balance out um, the justice and the mercy of God. Mm. Uh, because you don't want to shave off some of his justice to make that the scales equal with mercy or vice versa. He's wholly just and he is wholly merciful. And those things that are held in tension. And I think that aspect of tension is much more of a picture of, of harmony, of, of what it means to live in harmony. And that, well, and, and even from the very practical musical sense, uh, almost everything that produces a sound does so from a place of tension. You know, whether it's a string that's held in tension, uh, whether it's the air moving through a, a pipe of some sort, whether you're a flute or a trumpet, whether you're hitting something uh, as in terms of percussive, you know, you're creating, you're using tension then to create, uh, to create sound and do so uh, harmoniously. But that, that um, so it's a much more global idea than, than just what happens in music theory. And because of that, I mean, Castan talks about, um, uh, Catherine Pickstock brings this up in her article on Augustine's De Musica, and that, that for Augustine, it was not so much about measuring um, the cosmos as much as it was recognizing that everything in the cosmos is in relationship to one another. That's right. And, and that relationship is held together um, in the concepts of harmony. Which is why and the so, ancient understanding of music was always so closely related to that of astronomy and the, absolutely. the heavenly bodies, which is which is a notion I think we've largely lost as moderns. There's so much overlap. At, at New College, we have four distinct quadrivium classes, arithmetic, geometry, uh, um, harmonia, and, and uh, cosmology. And you know, we're all, all the time talking about, you know, does this concept need to show up in the third year Harmonia class, or does this need to show up in the cosmology class? Because there's so there's so much overlap in, in those ideas. 
And I think and ultimately, when you're talking about uh, cosmology, astronomy, you're leading to the idea of, of the great dance, which, of course, is musical you know, as well. So you've got you've got that inter, interlocking ideas uh, all, all the way through of how, um, and I think you could even say that maybe one of the controlling aspects of of, um, of the quadrivium is harmony. That's, that's right, yes. And then yeah. theologically, we would have to say that there is music in God, right? I mean, in the beginning is the logos, and, in, and that logos is ordered. Um, so right. that that sound is is intrinsically musical, we'd have to say, right? Well, yes, and logos being also um, the the word used in terms of um, of ratio. Yes, and, and so you've yes. got all the yeah the, all the beautiful correspondence then of uh, of those things held in tension that um, that are harmonious and that lead to harmony, moving from discord to harmony. I mean, this this you know when you start down this path, uh, um, uh, my pastor a few months ago was talking about uh, the various. Various ways in which you see Christ appear in the book of the a book of Acts, mm. and um, in in terms of the early church, and and one was uh, the um, in terms of the spread of the gospel, uh, speaking of the healing ministry of Christ, and it just you know just flipped for a moment in my head. It's like you know what is healing, but uh, but bringing that which is discord back into order. You know, wow. Aristotle talks. You know, Aristotle talks about that in terms of in terms of medicine, right? You know, the job of a doctor is to get the things out of the way so that the body can restore order. But in terms of healing, it's that it's that moving from discord back to the way things were meant to be, and that's that's an aspect then too of, of harmony. Mm. Wouldn't it be amazing if doctors did that today? Everything is a problem to be solved, <laughs> and it's it's not about bringing order to the body; it's about the thing on the surface being fixed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, one of our one of our board members at New College is um, is um, a physician, but also has a PhD in, in ethics. And uh, one of the things that he's working on right now is a project with Belmont University to establish a Christian medical school that actually takes the body into consideration. Wow, that's that's it's, amazing. Talk yeah, about that, a hot see, market. Also, that's that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that, that you know that yeah. sees patients as people and not just as problems. To be that's fixed. it. Yeah, tell me um, not to drill too hard into the brass tacks of music. Are you team four thirty two or four forty? Are you up on this <laughs> this debate? I am. I, I'm, I'm team four thirty two. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. So are you? Do you, do you have? Have you tuned your household piano to four thirty two? I have not. Um, Come on. Are you really there, team four thirty two then? So tell me, okay, just for our listeners sake, and this is a rabbit hole that I'm super interested in lately, the shift, (laughs) the modern shift from 432 to 440, it's very deliberate. What is the Mm -hmm. difference in these frequencies? Like all things respond to frequency, right? That's sort of the backdrop. You can take plants and play Mozart for one batch and play uh, rock and rap for another, and the latter will shrivel up and die. The former will flourish. So frequency has a lot to do with the way life grows and the human person is no exception. And there's something specific about the 432 that is sort of more universally resonating in mm-hmm. a beneficial way than 440, which is sort of locomotive and power inducing, but not harmonious. Is that a fair quick summary of the debate? Yes, well, and, and even some of the aspect of of um, I think Mark, Mozart's tuning was actually lower than that, even. Yeah. Um, so would that so be the the Baroque A, or is that the four thirty two is the Baroque tuning, or is that? See, I'm I'm learning all this stuff now through YouTube. Videos right. Well, so you so you have uh, um, during during the Baroque period. I mean, of course, one of the things about um, uh, old uh, organs is that you can figure out what the what the tuning was. But you didn't have a universal tuning, so various various organs or various areas mm. had their own their own kind of tuning. Mozart was somewhere around, I think, four twenty eight, I think. Um, but you know, one of the things that happened with the um, with the Romantic period was that music needed to be more exciting and needed to be more emotional and more dramatic, and that kept pushing the tuning up. <clears throat> But then there were various tunings still in Europe. I mean, this is one of the fascinating things. It was, I think, it was the late 1930s. There was an international um, 
don't know, I can't remember, some sort of convention or calling with um, with musicians and politicians and state leaders to decide what the tuning ought to be. We're on the cusp of World War II here, and we have this international group of people trying to figure out what tuning of instruments ought to be. Fascinating, Curious. fascinating, why, why fascinating timing out of that. Yeah, and, and part of the you know, part of that was to um, to regularize things, but immediately people started pushing it up again. Uh, but you're right; I mean, it takes away some from some of the natural resonance of things. Um, when you look at um, the, um, and I always get the pronunciation wrong, the the, the, the uh, chardonnay plates. You know, the the plates that vibrate at very you can vibrate at various frequencies, and you can have uh, salt or sand on it, and it forms various uh, various shapes at various frequencies. Are you familiar with this? Vaguely. Um, oh. oh. Keep keep looking at your YouTube videos on this. This is amazing. So so the different different frequencies have these complex patterns um, yeah. that are that that move and ebb with different frequencies as they come into resonance. The the other aspect of this, and this is you know beyond the four thirty two or four forty um, discussion. Not to get too much in the weeds here too, but yeah, these are good. Um, <laughs> but we've also with um, uh, the loss of of. Um, the Pythagorean tuning, the pure ratio tuning, we lose the the beauty of the pure overtones of of harmony as well. So we're we um, uh, quick version of that is to, so that you can play on a piano keyboard every key every every key on the piano keyboard is slightly out of tune in terms of the interval. Yeah. Um, and so what what you lose then is some of the beauty of the natural harmonics that occur when things are perfectly uh, in tune by ratio. So what would the ratio um, Epicurean tuning, the middle A would be in a, in a Hertz number would be what? It would, it would still be moving. I mean, it still would be potentially moving, but um, but the um, the 432 creates much more um, beautiful um right um intervals that way so this is really interesting and not to get too conspiratorial there are plenty of other podcasts for that <laughs> but after you said after world war ii and as i recall this is rockefeller has a lot to do with this standardization to the unharmonious tune of 440 if music weren't so powerful in the formation of the soul why would the powers of the world be so bent on getting together and figuring out that it shouldn't be 432 or should be anything for that matter. Like what's the agenda there to get all the music up to 440 for the whole world? That's a great question. I haven't, I haven't initially thought about that from the, um, from the more conspiratorial side, as opposed to the more um, um, pragmatic the side. More, well, no, pra <laughs> pragmatic from the standpoint of the, uh, the romantic artist ideal. And so right. it becomes a much more of an individualized um, emotional expression than it does a collective community musical experience. Yeah. I mean, look, music can move the body. It can move the soul. You've seen Ben-Hur, right? They play the drums under the, under the deck of the ship and, you know, dum, 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 ramming speed, right? That's how you move a slave. Right. And, you know, even beat music now, right? It's it's mating music. You gyrate your, your hips. Um, you move your body. But it doesn't do much for the soul. And then you sort of sit down and you listen to Ave Verum Corpus and you're, uh, by Mozart. And your body isn't doing much moving. But, you know, except for maybe your, your mouth that is, that is smiling. Your, 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 uh, your ears are open and your eyes are shedding a tear here and there. But there is something moving in the soul much higher, even even mm. to the realm of the divine, right? He was called Mozart the divine. And so uh, that the the natural harmony was eliminated deliberately by a global caucus of power strikes me as as a little bit nefarious, to say the least. And we're sort of living with the consequences. Well, see, when you look back at, um, you know, more of a medieval view or what a musician was supposed to be or a composer you know part of part of what a composer was supposed to do was to reflect the order of the cosmos and then by reflecting the order that was inherently there to sustain the order and so there's a there's an aspect there in which you know, you're either creating discord or you're creating concord and 
you know, you look at Romans one, you know, that God has revealed himself and the things that he has made, even his eternal power, that, that there are aspects of uh, the nature and character of God that are uh, inherent in, uh, in creation. And I think the quadrivium is part of a number is part of the language of being able to, um, to parse that out, to learn those things, to, uh, to understand those things. But it's the reflection of that order, then the sustaining of that order that then does, as you say, it, it brings order. See, this fascinating thing, you know, like I mentioned before, you, you said everything has a resonance. Uh, that's true for the body as well. I mean, that's I right. think it's Stan- Stanford is doing a study in which how, f- how certain frequencies can, uh, can align heart tissue, uh, wow. the cells of the heart in particular ways to promote healing. And, and so there's, there's uh, an, uh, um, in the same way, um, a, a good violinist can make a violin sound better, not just because they're a better player, but because they, because of how they play, it actually begins to realign. Because their body the, is resonating. Well, it, but it makes the, it makes the, uh, the, the violin itself. Wow. Um, realign on a, on a a molecular level uh, to be more resonant guitar players. will talk about this in terms of, of, you know, you begin to play a guitar. uh, It's only after about 15 minutes or so that the guitar warms up or you'll see, you'll see musicians of guitarists, like put their guitar in front of a speaker to have music play through it before they pick it up and start to play because the the instrument has to um, acclimate itself to align itself with things that are orderly that are musical. And so there's this, there's on that very basic level that, that um, orderly sound, even on a molecular level brings things into order. Wow. And Plato was big on this, right? That the, the polis to propel uh, its people in a certain direction, music was critical to that. Right. right to the formation of youth music is critical i spent time studying in uh vienna and budapest uh a, a long time ago and we went to several operas you know when we were there but then one of the last operas we went to after you know all these mozart operas just stunning beautiful harmonious we went to a wagner opera in budapest i'll never forget it and we walked out of the wagner opera and people who were my friends and are still my friends to this day, we literally wanted to fist fight. It was like, we just, we were so mad at the way things were after sitting through four hours of Wagner music does something to you and it can propel Mm -hmm. populations in mob ways, in mass ways to, to harmony or to, or to the state of the mob. So it is, it is really, you know, tinfoil hattie to talk about these 5G towers everywhere as they correspond to the rise in violence in the cities and all the, you know, all the, all the mob rule and all this stuff. And I don't, I don't have any qualification to go there other than to say it's, it's not as crazy as we might think to think that societies are being manipulated via frequency. Well, you know, even move, um, um, move away from 5G towers for a moment. How much more noisy? And there, you you can graph this in terms of of um, of, of how sound looks. There, there is a visual difference between a graph of a uh, musical sound and a graph of noise. You know, mm-hmm. one has a regular pattern to it. One is uh, is erratic. Uh, how much more noise exists in the last 150, 200 years? than existed before i mean we're talking you know yep automobile we're talking you know airplanes we're talking you know industrial revolution there's just uh, you know even fluorescent lights emit um you know various frequencies of pitch i mean we, we are surrounded i mean the first time i put on a pair of noise canceling headphones it was shocking just the and i was just sitting in an office the amount yeah. of just background noise that we hear all the time and if and if that's discordant noise it's causing things to align discordantly as opposed to orderly noise, which aligns things, you know, more orderly. And there's a difference too, I think, between natural noise and, um, and man-made or created noise yes. too. You know, the, you know the, there's a, and so I think even, even without, um, without the necessity of going into, you know, some of the tin hat areas, uh, which, you know, may or may not be um, um, significant as well, even in the base level, we're subjected to so much more discordance uh, as I hear sirens go on outside the window as I, you know, hear, you know, 
perfect timing. Um, yeah. we were subjected to so much more noise than 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 we would have been. In, uh, and not only subject, not only subjected passively, but habituated. That is, how many times have you been in the car and on a quiet drive, and you just need noise, and you prefer to turn on the commercials of the satellite radio, even though it's just totally useless and annoying, um, than just sit and absorb the silence that you're in naturally right there's yeah. there's a habit that we we almost prefer noise as a culture right now well it also drowns out what's going on in our head for sure that's but, right you know even uh um and i can't remember where i read this years ago that one of the things that causes the most fatigue in um in long distance air travel is the sound of the airplane it's not so much necessarily moving through time zones. Yeah, that, that certainly contributes. But the fact that for however many hours, six, eight, ten hours, you know, your body has, has been subjected to this constant noise that's processing. I mean, it's one of the things that's different with regards to our ears and sound. We can't, we, we can close our eyes, you know, we can, we can hold our nose, um, but you can't really turn off your ears. Um, mm. even, even when you have selective hearing in terms of, of, um, you know, you can choose which conversation, background conversation you're overhearing in the restaurant or whatever, you know, and tune the other things out, but you're still not that I'm advocating you, but, you know, uh, but you still, you, you still, all the other things are still going in and still processing. And so yeah. there's the, even, you know, our next door neighbor plays loud music, um, this is uh, also Catherine Pickersack talks about this. You know, Boethius talks about there's three, three types of music. You know, the music of the spheres, instrumental music, which is heard music, and then the music of the soul um, in terms of, of, of the individual. Uh, but she categorizes the idea of instrumental music as an ethical issue because heard music necessarily involves other people. And so, for example, my next door neighbor playing music is an ethical issue because I don't have control over it. And yet it affects what, what goes on in my house. And so there's this, and, and even music making, even if you're doing so harmoniously, if we're playing music together, you know, we're constantly, uh, hopefully, if you're, you know, if you're dealing with good musicians, communicating with one another, and there's a give and a take that happens in terms of, um, of, of being able to, to play music well together. Well, and so there's an ethical ethical quality there that's different than uh, than some of the other senses that um, that we that we have it's true the art of music is very much a passive receptivity which is another definition for the word love it's it's a, it's a dynamic receptivity i hadn't thought of that before um what are your practical tips for inculcating solid musical foundations to children of a young age I going back to uh, what I was saying earlier with regards to education and muses is you know, play and be surrounded by uh, beautiful music early on. And it's not that you have to study it. It's not that you have to talk about the history of it. I mean, some of that will come up just in terms of conversation. Um, you know, why is this piece different than this one? But it's not so much, a, it's not so much a, um, a course of study as much as developing a love of a wonder of a, um, um, a connection to those things which are beautiful. And when I say that, I don't mean just in terms of the history of art, you know, art music, because uh, as you said, even those, even some composers, Wagner, et cetera, <clears throat> who are highly esteemed with regards to classical music world, I would exclude. Um, also folk music though, you know, yeah. what, what are, you know, what are you know, Southern harmony tunes or what is Appalachian folk music or Irish music, you know, things which are, uh, have, have beautiful melodies, uh, things which are played well. And, and so just in developing a love of, a love of sound, a love of music, uh, of, of all, all sorts of kinds of music that, that, is, that is done well, that's harmonious. And out of that, I think, grows then the desire to, okay, what, is, what does this mean? Or, or you have the examples of that. It's like, you know, remember such and such a piece when it does this. Why does this lead us home in a certain way? What's the high point of this melody? Um, why does this connect to these words in, in a particular way? And so that, that gives a whole vocabulary then of, um, of experience and, um, and foundation that you can build on. Wow. There's a lot there. Larissa, do you have questions? I I know I have one. I want to talk about the Cimmerillion in music as well. Have you read that, by the <laughs> way? 
I, I, um, I read the section in question. I don't know you're going to talk about, but yes. You know yeah. what I'm going to talk about? The creation section? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, it, for, you know, for the record, I'm not a, I never got into the whole Lord of the Rings thing. Um, I, you know, I love Tolkien, but I don't love him like a lot of people love him. He never, he never really grabbed me. And that's, that's to my shame, right? I'm not happy to admit that, but I will. But then I picked up the Cimmerillion <laughs> and it, it was sort of different for me. And, and beautiful and intriguing. I know a lot of people say that that's sort of the most boring, hard to get through one. For me, it definitely wasn't. So the creation narrative in the Cimmerillion is is very musical. Um, can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, I think it's brilliant. That, the beginning section, talk, even talking about the discordant themes that, mm-hmm. that are interwoven and, and then become harmonized. Lewis does something similar in uh, Magician's Nephew, in which Aslan sings creation into being, and and you see the the grass rolling over the hills, etc. I think one of the um, you know, one of the premises you know, in Augustine, Carol Harrison brings this out in her book on on reading Augustine and and the music, especially, is that uh, especially for the ancients, there was no difference between poetry and music. And wow! So, and, and well, yeah, there's so many implications of that. Yes. So, you did a whole podcast well, on that. Well, which is one of the reasons why, too, that when Augustine wrote his book on music, of which he only wrote the first half, uh, what he talked about was rhythm. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even get to the to the you know the quote musical part. But but there's the you know there's the whole proportion then of the idea and the relationship of of words and sounds. And so even I, I think you know the expression of of creation being spoken or sung into being is very consistent with the idea of, of music. There's a really, one of my students did a presentation in, in our uh, music called Caribbean class this year um, in uh, Pythagorean um, ratios, you know, an octave is two to one and, um, and a, a fifth is three to two. And so if you divide a string into three parts, you know, two, Two parts of the, the whole, you, you get a you get a fifth, which is the foundation of most music. So, so he um, um, he should did a demonstration in which he can uh, he started out by talking about rhythm in terms of like a polyrhythm, like three against two. So, can you hear that? As I tap, I out. didn't hear it. I I hear it in my head. I'm a drummer by trade. Right. So I get okay. So, mm-hmm. can you hear the, the three and no, I'll try to drum it on my microphone. Yeah. That? Can you hear that? No, I can't hear that either. Da, 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 da. Okay, yeah. all right. But you wind up with the three against two <laughs> rhythmically. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> I think it's something yeah, heavier. Yeah. Um, but if you speed that up, and you're just dealing here with clicks, with just rhythm here, if you speed that up faster and faster and faster, that rhythm of three against two suddenly becomes audible as a fifth as a heard musical interval. So you've got this, this, that, that, you know, a musical interval is essentially a really fast relationship. Whoa. Of of rhythm. There's no such thing as non-tunable battery after all. That's amazing. So, (laughs) and so, and so rhythm is actually, you're saying if you speed up, if you speed up that, that rhythmic structure enough, you will get the frequency, the harmonic frequency of a fifth. Correct. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So okay, and here's here's, here's wow. another, another another little fun thing too. You know, when you're dealing with sound waves, um, you're, you're dealing with compression waves. So it's a density issue. So um, the molecules are compressed, and then they, you know, they spread out and compress, so forth. And uh, um, we we um, we recognize that in terms of um, of um, a sine wave, but that's really just a representation of density. Not, I mean, a sound wave does not go up and down in that way. It's it's density and and um, uh, rarefaction, uh, rarefaction of, of air. Um, but you measure that then um, by either time, how frequent frequency, how frequent it takes to go through a single cycle. Um, but that frequency is also a measurement of of, uh, of space because that physically takes up an amount of space. I would say it's only a measurement of space in, in so far as 
what what is the measure of frequency? We tend to think of time as this Hegelian sphere that we're just like from point A to point B, and now I'm in this time. But that's never the case as far as Aristotle understood it. It's a measurement of actualization, of being becoming, right? So it's hard to think about frequency in this modern sense of um, you know, the time when things happen and the rapidity with which things happen. I mean, it is spatial more than chronological in that sense, right? Right. It, it, yes. And it has an, all, that, all that over sense, yeah, that, all, all that sense of overlapping. Like, I mean, there's a, there's a, um, uh, 20, um, uh, the low frequency that we can hear, um, you know, when you're young, um, you know, you, when you do the math in terms of, of, um, how long that wave is, you know, the, um, for, for 20 Hertz, a, a, um, um, it's over 17 meters long. One single wow. expression, one single, one expression. single wave. Yeah. So you think about in terms of like whale song and so forth, moving through the ocean, you, you, you're talking massive, massive, uh, uh, amounts of, of space. Like, you know, for example, you know, you look at an organ pipe, right? The, yeah. uh, the size of the organ pipe, um, is what determines the pitch of the note. Because you need a certain length of pipe to create right. a a sound wave of a certain length. Yeah. Wow. So which is why you have a whole bunch of different size pipes because you're actually that's um, right actually creating waves of different length that take up different amounts of space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta we gotta have this guy back, Larissa. I know. It's this amazing. is mind blowing. When so, you asked me, yeah, go ahead, Larissa. I was just going to say, when you asked me if I wanted to say something, I actually have been wanting to ask you about this exact thing because I have a little quote from Aristotle in the physics when he's talking about form and pattern and being. And he says, the cause of the octave is the two to one ratio, or generally number and the parts that are in its account. And it's, yeah, I wanted to ask you to unpack that for us, but I think you. I think you did. It's amazing because in our, in this time age we live in, there's engineers and there's artists and they're not the same thing. There's mathematicians and there's musicians and they're not the same thing, but the ratio is the music. It's not just a part of it. It is it. You cannot separate them. The, The logos is the music to translate that into Greek. Yeah. doesn't work so well in Latin, but yeah, it, so how well let's zoom zoom up from the uh the frequency conversation do you have a do you have a most beautiful mode of the scale by chance well uh, just a moment there too this is why music connects then to this is why it's part of the quadrivium that's right why why it follows geometry why it informs geometry and astronomy Right. And so, I mean, I've had very educated people ask me, like, I don't understand why music is a liberal art. Why is it part of the quadrivium? I get, I get, you know, the mathematical arts, but why, why music? And I think that's because, you know, it's been so relegated to an extracurricular or, um, or an artistic expression and not um, the understanding of what it really is and how it really works and how it forms in its, in its broader sense, you know, that, that aspect of the aspect of harmony. And, and that's, that's to our loss, which is why, you know, when you, in, in a lot of schools and a lot of situations, you know, music is optional. You, know, you would never make math optional. You'd never make reading optional. You know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's um, um, very little time is given to it. It's an extra thing that does kind of connects, but not really. Um, but in terms of fully integrating it as part of what would have been the classical liberal arts uh, is, is almost unheard of. Uh, because we've so bought the uh, the idea that it's that it's something extra or extraneous. Well, and while the formal study of music and say your typical high school is optional, the pep rallies, the scandalous <laughs> dances, all of this, you know, uh, this is compulsory, and it is educative in a certain direction that is anti-human. Well, see, you know, the, the, the people talk about the fact too. I mean, you, you mentioned this earlier, and I was uh, I was thinking about that at the time. That um, you know, people think, well, music doesn't really affect me. How does it? How does it? Uh, the soul? You know, yeah. but but yet, 
um, we don't um, we don't have marching bands go down the street playing lullabies. That's right. You don't put your baby to sleep with rap music. You know, we we have a sense of what is the type of music that is fitting to a, to a particular occasion to engender a particular result. So when you're at a hockey game and the <clears throat> over the course of the evening, um, the um, um, that the tempo of the pieces that are being played during the breaks increase, so that you're you're actually hyping the crowd into a greater sense of emotional, you know, uh, excitement. You know, you're doing so by music. I mean, this is music. You know, the 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 music that you listen to in a restaurant or a grocery store. That's all you know, planned out with regards to what kind of result they want. Makes you certain do certain rest- things. Elevator music. Yes. That's right. Right. Certain, Old certain music. Restaurant- <laughs> Certain restaurants want you to eat quickly and leave That's so right. they can have fast turnover. Other restaurants play different types of music because they want you to stay as long as possible and order, you know, order more wine and order more dessert. And, you know, they, they, they are they are going for a particular uh, result based upon um, the research and the understanding of what music actually does. So we're all victims to music, uh, whether the question is whether or not we're happy victims or not. Um, so are you, or, yeah. or aware of victims? That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think well for said. the most part we're unaware. Yeah. We haven't done this in probably years, Larissa, maybe before your time, but I would like to do a lightning round with Greg Wilbur, um, considering time is short and I've got many questions that I want quick answers to without objection. Okay. So to, to the, my last question, what, what is the superior mode of the scale? <laughs> um, I can't lightning question that over on that one. I I, I um I do favor something other than major, but um I think what we think of as modes is not necessarily what the Greeks would have thought of as modes. I think there's some some movement there. That's true. What so the major scale, what is that? What is that? Dorian? I, I get them confused. I haven't done music there in a long time. Is that Dorian or Lydian? I can't remember the uh, uh it's not Dorian. It's it's um, you know, yeah, I'm, I've gone blank now too. Um um uh, aliens minor, uh, where's that? Yeah. I can't, sorry. I can't remember top of my head. But yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's, um, major minor, what we think of major minor are two of the modes out of the, out of the, uh, um, yeah. Uh, oh the man, collection. this is brutal. I'm sorry. Everybody's face palming. All the musicians are face palming <laughs> right now. <laughs> sorry, everybody. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll ask that the next time. Around. Okay. What is the most beautiful pop song ever written? Oh wow! Uh, um, golly, you're tough. Okay, I don't do well with lightning rounds. Okay, um, the thing that's just popped into my head right now is Sting's "Fields of Gold," but I may change that later. Wow, that's 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 possible. Sting is a is a pretty good music theorist. Theorist, um, yeah. What what he's, he did with "King of Pain" is also pretty impressive. I think. Yeah, he has some. Yeah, he has some interesting depth to what he does, but. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And what is the most beautiful song of all time, pop music or any music? Uh, right. I already now, gave I you the answer to... to this one, by the way. I, I know. Uh, I know. I know. <laughs> I. I. I um... Boy. See, I'm. I'm going through all sorts of different genres, and that doesn't help. So if I was going to say um, if I was going to say him, I'd probably say "Be That My Vision." If I was going to say uh, art music, I would probably say um, uh, Strauss's Four Last Songs." If I was going to say something more recent, I would say Goretzky's Third Symphony, Symphony of Sorrowful Songs. Interesting. We have a lot more to talk about. I, I would like to unpack. I mean, there's there's certain musicians who sort of speak to different different elements of the soul. So Tchaikovsky and probably Stravinsky to some extent is very, very limbic, you know, almost, um, you know, to the libido um, as well. Bach is to the the rational faculty, but not necessarily the intellective faculty. And then, you know, Beethoven maybe to the, to the heart, you could say, or the will. But in some ways, I think Beethoven is rather perverse. But then Mozart. Right. To Thank you. Wait, really? Bless you. I do. Beethoven okay. is probably like the second most overrated musician next to the Beatles. Oh, 
Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. We have more to talk about. John yeah. Adams, uh, not, uh, not John Adams, uh, Douglas Adams, you know, um, a hitchhiker's guide. Uh, it's a beautiful quote. He says that uh, listening to Beethoven tells you about Beethoven. Exactly. Um, yeah. Listen, listening to Mozart tells you what it means to be human. And uh, listening to Bach lets you know what it means to be part of the cosmos. I would agree with him on Bach and, and Beethoven. I think Mozart is divinely inspired. I, th- I think I think Avi Verum Corp is the second greatest work of art of all time, next only to John's Gospel. But that's that's definitely a discussion for another day. And, and also, you know, what's interesting comparing these uh, classical predecessors. You know, like I say, I love music from the eighties, the seventeen eighties. But um, <laughs> Mozart, you know, is very much like slash from guns and roses the way the way the guy plays the guitar and then bach has has an obvious counterpart in 1980s music uh to the van halens uh van halen music is bach recycled beautifully so in many ways Hmm. i don't know if you ever noticed that connection no i haven't thought about it that way yeah yeah i know kind of weird right yeah (laughs) yeah um, okay, we got a jet. I know you're you're short on time, uh, but this has been just awesome. We need to talk some more. So newcollegefranklin.edu, if you're looking mm-hmm. for a solid option, I like what I see so far. Maybe, Greg, we could have you to do uh, a Magnus webinar or something uh, on a topic of your choice. Maybe we could get a lot more into the Cimmerillion, which we didn't have time for. That is a, right. that is a beautiful question. Um, so anything else you want to plug? Are you on Twitter or anything, or is that above your, uh, or beneath your dignity? I, you know, I can only manage so many things at once. Um, I, yeah. there's, so I'm not, it's just what, um, I think what we're trying to do at new college is, is fairly unique and, uh, there are bits and parts that other people do, uh, but how we combine those together, it's a, it's a beautiful community that's, uh, that's focused on uh, those things, which are, um, which are beautiful. The, the idea of, responding in wonder and awe with who God is and what he's made. And that's a beautiful thing. It is. And you don't take government money. You're keeping it small, authentic liberal arts, trivium quadrivium. There's not Mm -hmm. much more to ask for. So really give it a, give it a shot. Give it a look. Newcollegefranklin.edu. Greg Wilbur, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the Magnus podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. And for Larissa Bianco, this is John Johnson reminding you to tune your household pianos to 432 hertz. (laughs) The Magnus Podcast is a production of the Albertus Magnus Institute, Incorporated. To learn more, way more, by becoming a fellow today, visit magnusinstitute.org. Copyright 2023, Albertus Magnus Institute, Incorporated. All rights reserved.